0: Is Transitional Matters with Chris Marshall. With Chris Marshall, we've gathered the best thinkers from around the world to talk about the most important social, environmental, financial, technological, and geopolitical transitions that affect your life. Transitional Matters is all about bringing the greatest thinkers directly to your ears. The most important trends, megatrends, and transitions that are going on around us. Now zip up and put your headphones on. Broadcasting direct from the UK, here's your host, Chris Marshall.
1: Well, welcome to this episode of Transitional Matters. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Julia Jones. Well, I don't really know where the conversation is going to go. I think we'll probably go everywhere in this conversation. But welcome to the show. Can I get you to kind of introduce yourself to the audience and kind of talk a little bit about what you do? I know we're going to dive into it in way more detail.
2: Well, I'm Julia Jones from Wales, and I am also known as Dr. Rock, for reasons that will become apparent throughout the course of this conversation, no doubt. But basically, I, 30 years ago, was shown how to use music as a biohack during a visit to a US Navy SEALs base. And so I've been showing people how to use music as a tool for health and high performance since then which I know we're definitely going to talk about. Um, but also, you yeah, know, that kind of interest expanded across a lot of areas of health and wellness as well. So that's what I do. I'm a neuroscientist, thought and exercise scientist, which, uh, just interested in everything.
1: That was a super answer. I'm going to start just because what the audience don't know, I didn't know until I spoke to you, this is going back a few months ago, that we'd met a long time ago. In fact, you are the lady who taught me to control my anxiety through deep breathing. And I'm going to say it was about 25 years ago. I'm not sure exactly the year, but it was at a a British Olympic Association summer camp in Crystal Palace. And I remember walking into this room and being sat there, and you were brought in, and we were told the session was going to be on breathing. I have used that technique ever since. In fact, I use it so much that I've just qualified as a breathwork instructor.
2: Amazing.
1: Um, because controlling our states. Well, I'm going to let you tell a story. How did that come about? How did I end up in a room with you in front of me telling me to breathe deeply as a very young lady?
2: Well, it's great to be reunited after all these years. So I had, I had done a sport and exercise science degree and I was doing a master's degree and using music in particular as a, as a focus of my research. But I, was lecturing at university and brought in a physiotherapist who was my physio, and I was bringing him in to teach on oh, bits of the the course that I was leading, and I was also referring you know, private clients to him and things like that. And he was working on the Olympic programs at that time, so he's like, oh, you you need to bring this stuff." And so he introduced me to the head of psychology, and I ended up coming in assisting that that team at the Crystal Palace sessions in Winchester and yeah it was it's great and while you, you know better than anyone well when you're young very young so in some cases and committed to that level of training and that expectancy around winning and performing it's a lot of stress you know it's high stress high anxiety and because of the way the vagus nerve is wired, then our breath is a direct channel to be able to, to control that autonomic nervous system response. And that's what I was taught, you know, when I went to the US Navy SEALs base in California, because that was just a, a, an amazing, lucky visit, really. I was on, a, on an exchange trip, went from Cardiff to LA. The LA students went to California to Cardiff. And while I was there, I got invited to the US Navy SEALs base in San Diego. And the PT instructors showed me how they were using music to control anxiety, endurance, physical endurance, motivation, confidence, and all of that. And I was a musician and a DJ. So and I've only ever really thought of music as entertainment. And so just music and sound being used in this way, just, it was incredible. So I came back and started doing the same thing, teaching people how to use music. And, you know, that the ears lead to the brain. They don't lead to a dead end. It's a if that, you know, they trigger action potentials that release a myriad of brain responses and neurochemical responses. And so the biohack is anything that hacks into that underlying biology and music and sound are a very natural and fast acting way of doing that. And now you see all of the, you know, I was working a lot of the swimming squads at that time as well. And it's normal practice now to see, you know, the swimmers at the side of the pool with headphones on. It's just, no, standardly. It's
1: interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, kind of biohacking, as we would call it in our modern parlance, but it's not new. Surely we've used music and breathing. I mean, well, when you look back at the history of humanity, these have been fundamental things that we kind of, would you, would you say we've just forgotten or we've overlooked? Or
2: I think that in our idiotic way, We shunned them as woo woo, and that is until very recently. Because even till very recently, when I'm doing work with corporates over the past years, introducing music as a concept, and it's a bit of a gimmick, you know. It was always seen, oh, well, that'll be a bit fun kind of thing. It's like, well, here's the science, you know, this is what happens when the brain hears sound, you know, things like that. Because we brainwash ourselves and everyone else into thinking that you have to go to a gym and use this equipment and this is how it works and everything else and everything outside of that can't possibly work unless it's magic. But we know that put mocks in a brain scanner and you see the difference in the actual neuroplasticity and the tissue of the brain is difficult different when you do a lot of breath work, a lot of meditation, a lot of gratitude. It's a workout for the brain and it changes the brain chemistry. It's you know now all of this stuff is really in, the, in a close two years, I've seen a unbelievable change in terms of how people are now accepting this as a thing, you know. And yeah. as you it's not just, it's, not, it's not just
1: a fad. Yeah.
2: It's not new. And my mantra at the moment is, fuck the fads, hack your habits. Um, or if I can't say the F word. Then I say, ditch the fads and hack your habits because now we want
1: the first has a bit more impact, doesn't it?
2: Right, exactly. But there is a reason that comedians can fill the O2 Arena with, the, you know, certain swear words. Although there are also comedians who can fill the O2 Arena without swear words because they're just very funny. But yeah, you know, swearing does have impact. And but we know that all of these you know, 50 years of massive diet and fitness trends, which have produced increasing profits over that time, have failed to produce any healthy nations at all. So I, I plotted the revenues of the diet and fitness industry and the diet the revenues and the fitness uh, profits over five decades, over 50 years. And alongside it, I plotted average waistline size. And then alongside that, I, mean, I plotted poor mental health statistics, chronic illness diagnoses. And, you know, we know that they don't work. And also we know why they don't work. They're high effort, it's completely unsustainable and quite unnatural for our ancient brain because we never needed dopamine circuits in the brain to go and do exercise because it was part of our normal existence.
1: Maybe that's a good place to kind of take the conversation. It's kind of like how the modern world, because obviously a lot of my research looks at Kind of our decision-making quality and you know we know now again a lot of the leading neuroscience coming out we know that the mind is not really separate to the body that it's completely it's an integrated system um, and that our decision quality really does get affected by our not only our brain state or emotional state we call it self stress state uh, but also our physiology. Do you want to just talk through kind of some of those things? Because it's we've basically got two very different circuits going on. We've got stress circuits, we've got joy circuits, we've got the parasympathetic nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system, and these are firing all the time, aren't they? Yeah. And kind of being triggered by lots of different things. Yeah. Do you want to just kind of outline how modern society triggers those? Because we could take this in a lot of different directions.
2: Yeah. And well, it all goes back to the fact that we've got ancient circuits, these things have been evolving very, very slowly over a massively long period of time. And now these circuits that we share with other creatures on the planet, you know, they've been evolving over millions of years. And in the past 50 to 100 years, our environment is just completely different to what they've been evolved to exist in. And so there's a lot of missed messages being received by the brain. The brain is in a silent dark box in our skull. So so it can only get the messages that come into our senses. It's then, okay, well, I've got no idea what's going on out there apart from what's coming in from these input channels. And it's got, you know, at that point you're then guessing, is that sound dangerous or is it a high-tempo dance track? It's confusing. And we know that mental health kind of got Separated away from physical health and became mental health has become a whole industry of itself. And but there is no physical health and mental health. It's as you say, it's a completely integrated system. The gut brain axis mean that if our gut bacteria aren't happy, we're not happy, and vice versa. And all of the other peripheral information that our nervous system is receiving from all over the body, from temperature, from sound, from pressure, everything. Is is all dictating our cognitive state and the mood chemicals that are released, and the you know the stress response and everything. So it really is ridiculous that we're thinking of it in these silos. Yeah, because it just isn't realistic at all, and you can't just address one part of it, which is kind of where we've been falling down for decades. And you know, I was completely immersed in this thinking as well, that you have to join a gym, right? You have to go into all those fitness protocols. But about five years ago, after my PhD, I was, started looking into the these statistics of like, you know, I've been telling people to join the gym. And I has been, you know, joining a gym for decades. And yet I'm still putting on a pound a year throughout my forties. And so if that could have carried on, then even though my fitness is amazing, I'd still be obese by the time I was in made to decades, you know, so this clearly doesn't work. And so that that kind of led me back into to then, you know, writing the books, because I was digging into the research for my own health. And I cancelled my gym membership. January the first, twenty twenty, I cancelled my gym membership and decided to do twelve months of just habit hacks. as possible habit hacks. And yeah, you know, I didn't know COVID was coming, obviously, but but it just kind of ended up being that year but all those facts just transformed my my health and wellness and now that's all I do. I haven't joined a gym since then. When you think about it, because going back to the Crystal Palace days that was sort of late 90s because that was leading up to Sydney 2000 and maybe mid to late 90s but in the early 90s and the late 80s, you know, I, was, I was involved showing my age here but I was involved in the industry and we were building the software packages, you know, so, so the health clubs and I was managing a health club, which I then turned into a chain of health clubs within a hotel group, got 12 clubs around the UK, it was sold for 180 million pounds. It was a very successful model, software packages that said, right, how long shall we make the personal trainer slots?" So it's like, oh, we'll make those an hour. How long shall we make the... Some of the thoughts were like, yeah, there was no science around it. It's like, what well, people are not going to pay for a five minute personal training session. That's the reality of it. So, but you now know that most of that session is now classed as pointless exercise. Yeah. Cause those for a general wellness point of view, because those protocols came out of elite sport that we were training all the elite athletes, you know, and they were repackaged for a general audience in the gyms but you don't need elite level aerobic capacity and elite level strength and everything else to avoid death. And that's where we're going wrong. (laughs) It's about your tiny habits all day long that are disrupting your gut bacteria, your stress levels, your sleep quality, the amount of daylight you get, the exposure, the amount of vitamin D, all of that. You can't just do one pillar and say, right, I'm going to focus on and fitness,
1: Yeah. Or I'm going to up not, my VO2 yeah. max. And yeah.
2: And yeah. not being involved in one stuff because it doesn't work. And so now I'm really pissing off the fitness industry left, right, and center, because I'm telling everyone, you don't need to join a gym, which is true. You need to get yeah. on top of your habits and learn how your biology works.
1: I think that's really interesting because, you know, I kind of went, obviously went through that elite sport route. Then I actually went to be a personal trainer because that was the most obvious kind mm-hmm. of when I stopped skiing, it was like, well, what do I do next? I know a bit about fitness. yeah. Um, But you're right. We just kind of took the, the kind of the playbook from elite sports and tried to apply it to a general audience. And I'd probably argue that what elite athletes do is not called wellness. They're like tremendously stressing their body to try and run a marathon a second quicker than they could yesterday. So, I mean, talk me through some of the things that you did. So you said you quit the gym. Where does this kind of fit in? In your kind of, if we take the chronology of your work, is it right? You've got three books. Yeah. So where does you quitting the gym fit into your three books?
2: So the first book that I did was in 2019 called The Music Diet. Okay. And that packaged the science that I've kind of been exposed to and the research that I've done as well, looking at music as a biohack. So all the different ways that music and sound can drive wellness from birth to death and the second work was followed on from that called Neuron and that really looked more at behavior and habits and how to do all of the hacks, not just music bits. It's like how do you use natural daylight? How do you use cold water how do you use timed eating? How do you so, so all of these different aspects that you can tap into your underlying biology with just these simple tweaks to habits? And then the final book last September was called F1, which which dug into the kind of millions of years of history of why all these F words kind of started the history of we were foragers and so we had a very diverse diet because we went out and we foraged all of these plants and then. We invented fire or had to control fire so we could start cooking those things so we could extract more nutrients. Then we became farmers because we, we realized that, well, if we grow these things, we don't have to walk for miles looking for them, right? So and we can keep animals and we don't have to go searching for all this stuff. We can have it on our doorstep and then factory foods and you know, then we got fat, then we blamed fat. So, so all these F's kind of led to the downfall of a reduced gut diversity and everything else. And then the F's also brings out right? fermented foods, fasting, fiber, frequency, you know, cyber, all of these other F's that, that are the kind of route to wellness, really. And, but the, what really stood out when I was digging into all this longevity science and all the, the latest kind of molecular biology and the epigenetics research and. It's now going on, you know, around measuring biological age and everything else. And it just became really obvious that we had mistakenly thought that fitness was wellness. But it turns out that fitness and wellness are not the same thing. And so you've got illness. And if you're not in a state of illness, you're in a state of wellness. And fitness is just over here, you know, I mean, it's like an offshoot that is something very different that is necessary for if you're trying to compete or you're trying to, to attain personal bests, best, strive to achieve something, but it isn't necessarily on the wellness scale. And sometimes, as you say, it negatively affects wellness. So I've got a lot of senior exec clients who very proudly tell me that they managed to fit in a gym workout after work three or four times a week. And I say, well, talk me through that That Routine, you know, what time do you leave work? Well, I managed to leave the office about half six, quarter to seven. So right, so then you drive to the gym or tube to the gym. So what time do you get there? Oh, about you know, seven, seven fifteen, right. Then you check in, then you go to the locker room, then you get changed, and then you put the tag in the locker, then you go upstairs. So what time is it now? It's like, oh like half seven or quarter to eight or anything. So evening, right? The time of day. Well, we should be calming down the autonomic nervous system, but no, you've put it in this environment with bright artificial blue light telling your brain it's morning, banging loud music, hyper stimulating the autonomic nervous system into fight or flight sympathetic nervous system mode. You're going to do a really long workout that now is mostly classed as pointless exercise because you don't actually need to do what you're doing. and. So what time do you get home? Well, I don't know, like nine, because you've got to have a shower and everything else. You get nine, 9.30. So now you're starving hungry and you eat crap food or you cook something healthy, which takes even longer. And so you, you're eating too close to bedtime. And so all of this is negatively impacting your sleep quality, which is a core pillar of wellness. And when we do the, the biological age test, you know, they're in their mid-50s, but their biological age is 60s, early 70s. They're horrified because they've got yep. great fitness and cardiovascular capacity and they've got these, you know, muscle definition. They've got terrible sleep so they're not on top of their gut bacteria very low gut diversity, gut bacteria, not eating the right foods, not eating the right foods at the right time of day, not getting enough daylights, not getting enough relaxation, family time. And these are all pillars of wellness.
1: I think if you actually also tested their decision-making, this is where we'd start suddenly going, oh my word. You know, kind of the decision making quality, which these people are paid for, you know that's that's the the sole purpose of their job is yeah. to make good quality decisions is being impacted as well. And that was the interesting thing for me that when I started looking into this research, was like, wow, okay, it's not only that wellness piece, but the thing we think we're benefiting and greater is also being impacted.
2: Cognitive function is impaired. We know that people, if they're not sleeping properly, they eat more calories the next day. Their their decisions around food are, is impaired. It's a real negative cycle. Yeah, and the biggest problem that we've got, in my opinion, is that we know more h- about how our phones work than how our body works. Most people have no idea, like no idea how they, how their body works. Really, clueless. How on earth can you look after an amazing machine like this if you've got really no clue on the damage you're doing when you're buying things from the supermarket that you assume are safe when we know that they're going to be banned in coming years because we know that they could, you know, process meats and sugars and all, all of this stuff has been normalized in our society.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Your performance absolutely is suffering and under and the surface you're on your way to a chronic illness because we know that the, you know, dementia and and may cancers and things like that bubble away, absolutely undetected for years and years and years and years and years years until physical symptoms arise. So there's a lot of sick people right now that don't even realize they are.
1: In fact, probably going back to your point, probably feel and think they're doing all the right things. I mean, this is just a kind of a off the cuff question but would you say that kind of some of those real high intensity like let's say hit sessions spin sessions that we're talking about with real loud music flashing lights super intensity getting heart rate right up do you think that's kind of part of our kind of dopamine addiction i just kind of see this in lots of different areas and i'm just wondering whether this contributes i mean that's one of the draws of reality tv isn't it we're kind of on this edge of like kind of all oh, emotional pain then we get this nice feed of endorphins and we feel good and we're addicted. There seems yeah. to be that kind of addiction to high-intensity exercise as well.
2: Yeah. So the, the research now around exercise, because because this it's all in the terminology, right? We need to be active and we need to move. It's very beneficial, obviously, to not be sitting down all the time because we never did that. If you look at the hunter-gatherer research, They actually don't sit like on their bum, like we do very much at all. If, if they're around, you know, sitting around, they're kind of down on their haunches, you know, like crouching. So it's, so so your muscles are still active in that state. And although just, you know, standing up or moving around. So we definitely know that we need to do what's now kind of called zone two exercise Mm -hmm. of going around, you know, walking swimming, cycling, dancing, anything that involves movement and activity, but we started to get this, you know, the terminology of exercise is that this myth that you've got to wear an outfit, you know, you've got to wear a special coat and you have to do certain routines and things like that. That isn't really what's coming out of the research. The so research is showing that you should be active, moving. As much as possible throughout the day, and I remember that includes Stanley up because fighting against gravity, keep your body upright, is a workout. You know, it's a complete workout. So moving more throughout the day definitely, but also these high intensity cause the rapid depletion of glycogen in the muscles that that send that kind of signal to the brain, and there is a, a kind of like a signalling cascade of molecules that are, that are released chemicals that are released that go whoa something just happened that is like was that an emergency what was that build this stronger build it better build it fitter kind of thing but actually you can do that in a very short space of time i changed my dog walking routine during that experiment in covid so instead of just walking on the beach on the flat i changed the route so i walked right the way up to the cliff and there's there's a set of steps that are really steep and by the time I get to the top of those steps, I have depleted the glycogen in my straws, right? And I can hardly lift my legs by the time I get to the top of it. Mm. And you know, my legs feel like they're on fire. You've done that high intensity, but that takes a very short space of time. So I don't need to go and do a whole spin class to yeah. get that benefit from high intensity exercise. You could use the stairs instead of the lift, and so it's about thinking. We created a world where we don't have to put any effort in. So escalators take us up the stairs, or we use all these gadgets, or yeah, you know, we get in the car, or we, that moving travelator, or whatever. You know, it's like yeah. all convenience of all labor labor saving devices. And so we're victims of our own cleverness, really, in that regard, because we know that we need to be moving more, and we need these high intensity first. bursts. But there are, you know, you're right around the. Yeah, you know, the endorphin addiction. Because if you do anything regularly that is a dopamine reward activity, then you know, if if nice, you want to do it again. That's what that system was designed for. And for a lot of people, exercise does become that. And that's why it's so inefficient, because it's very time you know, for for people who are time poor, which is most of us, going yes. to the gym can take two hours out of your day. By the time you've traveled there, got changed, done an hour in the gym, had a shower, traveled back. It's a hugely inefficient thing. And it was created by, you know in the 80s and 90s, figuring out how to really make this into a financial business model, which continues to be very successful to this day.
1: No, I think that's really interesting. I mean, so one of the things that I'm going to try and tie in to this is Some of my research, I kind of put a zeitgeist over our current era, which I call the age of awareness. And the era we've just come out of is what I call the age of measurement. And the age of measurement is all about, we suddenly started to get the ability to measure things like never before. And that was all to do with semiconductor. And you're absolutely right. We had all of these things going on, which actually we started to get research coming up going, well, hold on a minute. That isn't actually what the research suggests, but we've just continued with it. And now we're starting to employ that measurement ability, all that research data, all the databases, everything else to the age of awareness, which I think segues beautifully into kind of your system, like the smart wellness system. You're essentially using that power of information and knowledge and now applying it.
2: Exactly. And in my book, Similarly, I can't remember if it was in the new one book or the F one book, but, but I did talk about the generations of my family and how my gran was the uninformed era, right? They, she was smoking everything, and the adverts and cigarettes had doctors smoke, you know, doctors, Camel cigarettes, and and it's like, and so then we're completely uninformed, right? They had no idea she died of a smoker's death in her seventies, and then my dad's was the the cuss. So she was the uninformed era. My dad was the misinformed era because he was told to lose weight getting rid of fat because fat was evil, fat was the devil, fat was this, fat was that. And he never managed to lose weight because he was basically filling himself with sugar and carbohydrates by avoiding fat and had a heart attack and died. With an obese BMI celebrating his 65th birthday in a hotel in Torquay. He was told to do things that were the role crash dieting, they're trying to restrict food, mm-hmm. all, all the stuff that we know isn't a long-term sustainable plan. And now we find ourselves in the, so he was the missing misinformed era. We are now in the informed era and the information era because we have the knowledge because yeah, there's a big science Evidence-based now that shows what we should be doing, and we also have the little gadgets that can help monitor what's going on underneath. Like, you know, my Oura ring here tells me all kinds of things around my autonomic nervous system, breathing, activity, sleep. You know, you, you can get a lot of information now about what's going on in your body. It's like the dashboard of your car. You can see what's happening. Your scales can tell you what's happening when you need to just rein it in with doing a bit of intermittent fasting for a few more days and to after a very hedonistic weekend, you know. There's a lot, lot of information that I'll dispense but people have a very low level of literacy when it comes to biology and human biology and how these things work. And so they think that they're doing the right thing because often they're being misled through marketing campaigns that are confusing the issue and there's also so much information out there now online. How does just the person figure out who's telling the truth, who's not telling the truth? Should I have this? Should I not have that? Should I be doing this exercise? Should I be doing that exercise? It's an absolute colossal deafening noise, which also isn't helping because it just adds to the confusion really.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, I I think that's a really interesting point that you kind of talk on there. Is how do people know what sources to trust and which ones not to, and which is just kind of bogus data. Yeah. So in terms of the things that you did, because I want to dig into that, the things you did, so you quit your gym membership, you started walking up steps. What else? What were the kind of the changes to your lifestyle that you made?
2: So I looked at my habits because it, because it became totally obvious that anything to do with wellness is being driven by your daily habits, because something that you do every day is going to have a colossal impact. So I looked at all the things that I was doing every day, figured out which ones were probably having a negative impact, and then made tiny changes to those existing habits. Because trying to create new habits, you know, it takes a long time to invent a new habit, so it's much easier to try and adjust an existing habit or to add something onto something that you already do. So my daily routine used to start letting my dog out in the morning, and I used to do that by opening the front door watching him go out waiting for him to come back in close the door and the only change I made to that habit was to go outside in the garden with him instead of standing outside and waiting for him and that meant that I was getting daylight exposure you know my eyes will see daylight absolutely hours earlier than you know otherwise I would have seen him and we know that that's important because some of the cells, And the retina are wired to neurons that inhibit the pineal gland, which, you know, regulates melatonin release and timed melatonin release, which is a key sleep chemical. So that circadian system is regulated by exposure to morning light, which has blue light in it, outdoor, you know, proper daylight, and then not messing it up at night by not using screens and things like that, which, which are. Giving fake blue light, you know, the artificial signal to those neurons that say it's not evening, it's morning. How can it How can it still be morning? Well, it must be. It's blue light. It's uh, so that was just a really simple change that morning one. And also, I got table lamps and dimmer switches and dimmer lamps and things like that. So I don't use any overhead lights at night. Um, artificial bulbs. I use a lot of candles in the evening, that kind of thing. My my sleep quality significantly improved so another one that i changed was the time of my first meal so we'd always been taught breakfast most important meal of the day As soon as your eyes open you must eat something or you'll fall under you know it's truly power the body and yeah obviously we now know that's just not the case at all so i to push my breakfast back so to because it you know, breaking the fast, that's what you're meant to be doing. But most people never really are have entered a fasted state overnight because they're eating so late and eating so early so they're not even in a fasting state to break. Um so I started eating within an eight hour window in the all throughout the week, or weekdays. So I'd have breakfast at, you know, eleven or twelve and then try and eat before seven or eight, which had a really Really significant impact, not not just on my weight, but focus in the morning, clarity, and that's a lot of my clients. That's one of the main things that they notice. They, so what once you know, when you start doing it, it's like well, I'm a bit hungry in the morning, I'm a bit floppy. But a lot of that I think is you know psychosomatic, and because once you get used to it, you don't feel hungry. You know, you have tea or coffees and things in the morning. Just not food, but not, not very milky teas or coffees, cause that's putting a lot of milk in the system, but a little bit of milk in know, in the coffees in the morning is fine. And, but they, most people really notice that, wow, I've got more energy, I've got more focus and sharp thinking and, and it's really not an effort to delay your breakfast. And so you do then extend that fasting period overnight, which. Not just for weight loss, but there are significant cellular pathway benefits to that that are now linked with you know the cell health, basically enabling certain pathways to be activated that are very beneficial for the working and the optimization optimization of those cellular processes. Which means that our biological aging rate is less likely to be accelerating if all of those systems are working optimally. Because we never had this much access to food, yeah. You know.
1: Yeah, go back to your hunter-gatherer, yeah. and there was no way he was hunting down a deer at seven a.m.
2: Well, had access to that kind of, you know, didn't have fr- refrigerators. If you wanted fresh food, had to go and get it. And that's the and now not everywhere, but, but and not everyone, but most people, and probably most people listening right now, are fortunate that they have the ability to get food whenever they want it. And because we do have circuits in our brain that encourage us to go and seek food. When you have food at your fingertips, it's a very dangerous thing. Obesity is a significant problem right now and, and being on the path to it, because like I said before, a lot of people are gaining a pound a year and also more than that around Christmas. Yeah, you know, I, I gained like four, five, six pounds Christmas. Then I would have to really rein that in for months. If if you don't rein that back in, then every Christmas, you're each closer to disaster. Not that I'm saying we should ban Christmas, but I think that people do need to learn how to be able to enjoy these kind of lifestyles without it ending up in a diagnosis of, of chronic disease, which the average age of diagnosis now is early 50s in the UK.
1: I think that's amazing, isn't it? Because that also in the last 50 years, we've kind of Partly because of the lack of knowledge of our bodies and partly because we've been told the first step is always medication. We're very good at treating symptoms, but not treating, actually stepping back and treating the cause, which is what you're biohacking, is you're just bringing it back to the natural state.
2: And that medical system and the curriculums, even now, if you're training in medicine, you're training in medicine. The prescription of pharmaceutical medicines. You're not training in health and no. prevention. And many GPs, I hardly doubt, would be able to pass a nutrition exam because they just aren't taught that. You know, it's, it's not like, part of their it, training. It isn't part, and, and it's changed so dramatically over the last few years of what we now know about nutrition and you know diversity of plant intake and probiotic foods and drinks and all of that, thing, prebiotic fibers. It's changed dramatically since since I studied it in the nineties. And I'm addicted to learning. So I went back, did applied neuroscience at King's, which, which kind of kicked off my interest in the gut brain axis. And then I signed up, did a course at Stanford Nutrition Science with Professor Chris Gardner, who's doing some really fascinating work looking at the effects of fasting and fiber-based foods compared to keto and stuff like that. And uh, then I did a course on nutrition and metabolic syndrome at Harvard. I'm just about to do an epigenetics course in Jarzeo, Cambridge, because we're, we're in this world now where if you want to keep up with the science, you can because you can do distance learning on, on all of these, you know, you have to pay. It's not free. But if you want to stay up to date and be at the forefront of all of this thing, all of this new science. And you're thinking you, you can, but GPs don't have time for that. You know they no. have ten minutes slots to see Mrs. Smith who comes in every week because she's lonely, and our system isn't working. So this where we find ourselves right now. And there's I'm, I'm speaking at the British Association of Lifestyle Medicine Annual Conference in September, and that is a lot of GPs. And medical professionals who are, are now moving away from a prescription pharmaceutical model yeah. and moving into functional medicine, lifestyle medicine, preventative health. You know, it's like, how do we help people never end up at this destination where we need to write them a prescription? How do we teach them how to not get there? And yeah. that's the missing link. It's not really being taught in schools. You know that that kind of the breath work that we were doing at Crystal Palace—that was you know twenty-five, thirty years ago since I was shown—it's it. still not really taught at primary schools, or it's no. a basic part of being alive. That kind of it's, it's
1: one of one of our tools of being a human. Yeah. yeah, and as you say, we're not actually really taught to be a human.
2: We're not taught how to brush our teeth properly, and we now know that the colossal damage of the link between gun health and dementias and strokes and everything else. Because if your gums are bleeding when you're brushing your teeth, then that means that barrier is not sealed. And if if blood can come out one direction, then germs can go the other direction. And yet we're never really taught how to properly clean teeth, flossing, or why.
1: And I think that's one of the amazing things of our current era, isn't it? Not only, as you're saying, talking about doing continued education through different universities or outlets. We're able to use technology to create good habits. So one of the companies I'm involved in, a startup company, we're actually gamifying brushing teeth for kids. Because as you say, it's such a colossal area of poor health, which could be prevented. Yeah. And so all we've done at Icy Bear is just create this adorable little polar bear who you basically have to keep alive. And you keep them alive by brushing your teeth well twice a day. And you get to play with them, but this is the beauty of the modern technology that we're we're working with. We're starting to use it to help us. So, where I want to finish because we've talked about your books and we talked about how you've changed your lifestyle and some of those things. I want to ask you a question because on your website you have the Habit Hacking Club. What is it? I'm intrigued now. Is this where you help people ingrain some of these things that you're talking about?
2: Yeah. So, so I so I've been. Think- just really fascinated for well, for decades, you know. I, I was training people as a personal trainer and showing, showing people how to do the fitness stuff and all of that. And and so I've gone through this massive journey of like, how do you keep, keep, help people keep healthy? And now, my absolute, you know, with conviction, I can say that it's your habits, your problems, or your habits. It's the time of this. Really things that you wouldn't even think about, you know the type of of sound and music that you're exposed to, the times that you times of day that you're eating, when you the time trail you're breathing, things that you wouldn't even notice. so so really small tweaks to habits are definitely a route to staying healthier for longer, but changing habits is hard and it's really hard if you're trying to do it on your own. But then I was thinking, well, you know I can't do one-to-one sessions with everybody because it's not. It's just not possible. Technology enables us to connect online. And so I started doing this thing where I do a live weekly call where it's kind of in my mind, it's like Alcoholics Anonymous for habit. So every week we come back and I say, right, which habit are you trying to work on right now? So which one am I? I'm focused on trying to get as much outdoor exposure as I can and exposure to nature every day. That's the one that I'm re embedding and recommitting to right now. We have to remember that you don't just do these things for a couple of months, right? They have to be done forever. That's the key, and all of the other stuff is unsustainable. It's a forever habit. You know, people go in and out of gym crazes, and they go in and out of types of eating and things like that. But it ha- you have to do it every day for your entire life for these things to truly be effective. So, the life call on a Tuesday is just like a thirty-minute life call, and people can join it. and I just talk about what latest research I've been looking at that week and we all kind of commit to say, you can't see each other as a webinar sort of format, but I don't have the camera on because I'm trying to encourage people to not be staring at yet another zoo. So you could listen while you go for a walk and your lunch break or but it's just a, a kind of a chance to go, right, it's wonderful up on a Tuesday. Yes, I was going to embed intermittent fasting, but I did have breakfast at 7 a.m. yesterday. I, I didn't manage to do it on Thursday. I don't do that a weekend, by the way. I just, you know, do it in a week. But so the habit hacking club is, is kind of trying to build a community of people who, who want to commit to creating lifelong habit changes. And this isn't about ditching everything you like, living this saintly existence. It's about mitigating the effects of things with little habit adjustments so that you can continue to enjoy the modern world without having the damaging of effect that those are having on the on the underlying ancient biology.
1: Just unlearning some of our modern habits.
2: Yeah, and just kind of mitigating things in place. You know, like really easy, like I say to people, instead of reaching for that fizzy drink can every day, have a sparkling kombucha, which is delicious. It's a fizzy drink, but it's solid gut bacteria. And so that habit is a really easy habit to embed and it mitigates the effects of our Western diet, which is sabotaging our gut diversity. So, you know, little, little things that don't necessarily even have to be horrendous. I mean, most people, the one that they hate most, cause I've got like a, a list of 10, like a top 10 habit hacks. And the one that most people hate is the cold showers. You know, that's always the one that's like, Oh God, that's can, well- I, can
0: I
1: skip that?
2: Yeah. <laughs> but once I get into it, yeah, you know, I only do it at the end. I don't, I don't start in a cold shower. I just, I end on a cold shower. And when people get into it, use the little tricks. So you don't just stand there screaming under cold water. You know, you have to control your breath because yeah. immediately it's a really good training ground for. Controlling that autonomic response because when you put the shower to cold, your breathing immediately goes
0: yeah. right sympathetic, it's
2: yeah. fight or flight mode. And so to plant down on that and extend the exhales and keep the breath really slow, extending the exhales. So you're forcing the parasympathetic nervous system to stay in control, rubbing mm-hmm. your arms around your limbs and things like that, so that you're giving your brain. Extra information, not just so it's not just receiving the temperature. Shoot <laughs> right? it's You're giving it a lot of other. It's, you're diluting that by giving it a lot of touch sensation to to translate as well. So it's quite easy when you get into it, and it's so invigorating. It's it's a very easy practice. Yeah, you know, we we evolved in cold water. We we're used to cold water.
1: I think that's also a really important thing. In, again, today, isn't it that we through that process you're strengthening that pathway to overcome that initial gut reaction of fight or flight.
2: Yeah. Exactly. That
1: you're you're training your mind, yeah. You're using that beautiful property of neuroplasticity to actually go, I'm improving the way my brain
2: works. Yeah, exactly. And and exercising that vagus nerve response, you know, by using your breath, we're going right the way back to, to Crystal Palace to should do a full circle here. You know, extending your exhales, which most people don't realize stopping that stress response. Yep. The, the extended exhales is the vagus nerve activating that parasympathetic response and stopping the fight or flight stress, uh, effect to kick in. We should be doing that as a daily practice. I do it all the time, you know, because no yep. one wants, you don't have to go in a special room to do it. I do it when, yeah, know, waiting for the, coffee to brew. And I'm actually launching a coffee in September that is a hack coffee. Amazing. Not for breath work, but, but for vitamins, prebiotic fiber and things like that. But coffee, everyone's got a coffee habit. And so, yeah. it's a good time to embed another habit on top of it. So, breath work while you're waiting for the coffee to, you know, a bit of gratitude. That
1: would superb. To finish, if people want to find out more about you, and your smart wellness and things like that, where do they go? Where do you want to direct them? This is your so, chance.
2: Yeah. The website is smartwellness.co.uk. That's the best place to go. But I'm also on you know, Instagram is at Dr. Julia Jones and I'm all over LinkedIn.
1: Everywhere. I love what you do. So I'll put links in the bio as well. And I'll put links to your habit hacking hub in the books. And everything. no, it's I, I love what you're doing. So no, thank you so much, for such a great conversation
2: well thank you and it's great to be reunited after all this time and i'm very glad that it made such an impact
1: well there you go yeah 25 years on i'm still breathing which is <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah,
1: it's a, a good thing yeah no thank you so much
2: okay, great thanks very much
0: You've been listening to Transitional Matters. Make sure to like, subscribe, and sign up to the show's email newsletter by going to chrismarshall.uk. And we'll see you next time for more from the world of mega trends and transitions. All content is for informational purposes only and does not constitute an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any securities. Content should be treated as educational and general and should not be seen as a recommendation to use any particular investment strategy.